Hey, welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your cruise director. No. I'm your host, and I'm also a professional speaker, author, and trainer. On today's show, I welcome Lori Schloff, and Lori is a veteran in the speaking business. I would even go so far as to say she is a public speaking expert. She's written several books on communication. She understands the nuances. She knows how to have a strong presence on stage, how to get your point across, and how to be heard. I love this interview because we got into so many different pieces of the puzzle when it comes to communication, both on stage and in meetings and in everyday life. If you've ever asked yourself, how can I improve my message? How do I create a stronger delivery? And how do I build my presence on stage? You're going to love this interview. Without further ado, I introduce to you, Lori Schlaff. Today, I'd like to welcome to the show, Lori Schloff. Lori is a lifelong speech geek and a communication coach working with groups and individual clients for over 25 years. Lori's passion is helping clients achieve their speaking dreams and goals through best practices and customized techniques. Lori is the author of several books, including Smart Speaking and He and She Talk about gender differences in communication. 20 Twinkling Stars is her first children's book, a fundraiser for National Students Against Violence Everywhere, Save, and a celebration of the children we lost at Sandy Hook. Lori has appeared on Oprah and the Today Show. She was interviewed by Tom Bergeron of Dancing with the Stars fame when he was a TV show host in Boston. Lori, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm very, very excited. (laughs) I have to first ask, what was it like to be interviewed by Tom Bergeron? He wasn't as bi- he wasn't as famous then, right? Oh, but you know, he was reasonably famous. I mean, he was doing a talk show in the Boston area and he was a real sweetie. Um, we were talking about my second book, which was about male-female communication called He and She Talk. And we, and there was a, another co-host who was female and we just kind of teased him about different things, about you know men not being great listeners or interrupting and he just went right along with it so he was extremely likable oh that's great he looked a bit younger but he you know he still looks pretty good yeah <laughs> i happen to love america's funny home videos and he was on that for a couple of years and I, I thought he was the perfect host for it yeah he's just got a great style and a, a really pleasant and strong voice so both pleasant and strong Absolutely. So I want to back up a little bit and learn a little bit more about your background and how you got into this type of work. Since you've been doing it for 25 years, I'm sure you have some some interesting highlights to share with us. Absolutely. So I'm one of these people. I, I always say to my friends that I don't have a bunch of talents. So I've always been very focused, unlike people, and I envy them in in a lot of ways, who have a bunch of different things they're interested in. I've just always been interested in Three things, speaking, helping people, and psychology. And combining all those things, I like to uh, customize programs, as you said, for my individual clients and for teams. Teens. Teams. (laughs) Teens are good, too. So it all began, I would have to say, maybe junior high, middle school where I started to learn about the field of speech, started in speech pathology, taught at Northeastern University. And as I matured, 
I became more interested in something entrepreneurial where I could work with people in corporations. The field of corporate communication coaching was just growing at the time. And by the way, it's still not a bona fide profession. So you can get a degree in coaching and you can get a degree in communication, but the combination of the two in terms of a degree does not exist. Mm -hmm. So uh, people who are in this field find their own way. Uh, once I wrote the books, things really took off. And my book, Smart Speaking, as well as He and She Talk, are still, you know, selling pretty well. And I like to keep myself, you know, very busy uh, with different client projects, meeting people like you who are doing new and exciting things. Um, getting into the online space is very, very exciting. So in the 25 years, things have changed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be if you didn't want to present or speak at a meeting, you didn't have to. Now, you know, with, with the, the Internet, everybody's speaking to everybody everywhere. Very hard to hide. Yeah. I want to ask you about your book, He and She Talk. What, what's the main premise of that book? The main premise is that Males and females may have a, a slightly different way of looking at the world, though I feel with the millennial generation, we are finding that males appreciate what's been traditionally, traditionally female traits, like listening more, like having reciprocal conversations without interrupting, or at least they're trying. And of course, that's manifested the most in the modern day relationship or marriage related to childcare where the expectations on both sides are that task chores and child rearing tend to be more shared. Mm -hmm. Same thing with communication. Is there a piece of advice that you give to women in that book that you feel still applies today? Or I'm sure there's a lot of it, but can you share one thing with us that might be useful? Sure. Well, I might use the, the term, when you say claim the stage, I would say claim your power uh, in the situation by Finding your own voice, jump, you've got to find that spot to jump in. Meetings and corporations are the Wild West. And everybody's talking. Everybody's talking over each other. You've got to find a way to chime in at a, a pause or a quiet spot. And then as you chime in, you need to do it in a way that is with a strong voice. Literally a strong voice as opposed to something weak or tentative. And the other thing, of course, that everybody knows about is you've got to be physically present, which isn't, I met you in person, so Angela, it's not hard for you. You have so much physical presence. But people who are more vertically challenged, like me, <laughs> we, we have to make sure we sit in a spot that's either near the head of the table or near the person who has the most influence, wear clothing that's very striking in a positive way and take up space with our hands certainly mm -hmm. don't have them under the table so all those things together as well as planning your message we always say mind paper mouth before you speak all those kinds of things are very very important for females especially in male dominated industries yeah so when you say to present yourself in a yep. strong way. Do you mean through eye contact and through the level of your voice and all the, also the intensity of your voice? Or, is, or are there other things too? Well, you can show up in, in three ways. One is having a great message. Second is having a 
strong and influential physical presence, which is everything from clothing to, you know, sitting in a way that commands attention. And third is your oral image, which frankly gets the least amount of attention because it's the most technical. So if you listen to the pitch of my voice, it's on the lower side. Well, I've been practicing that for a long time. When after decades I talked to my high school boyfriend, he said, you do not sound like you. Well, that's because I've developed a lower pitch voice, of course, than I had years ago to, to do well in the professional world. So it's the actual pitch of your voice. It's how you have emotion and impact, which we call vocal variety. And it's also being crisp and polished, which gets into the mechanics of speech. So anybody who's doing presentations has to be good in all those aspects of oral image. Hmm. What do you think about authenticity in terms of style and presentation? Because if someone comes across as warm and genuine and sincere, does all of the other stuff matter as much? You know, it depends on where you are. So, you know, I'd love to have a discussion about authenticity because I think you're absolutely right. It's at the core of being a good presenter. But we always sort of half joke and say, well, what if your authentic self isn't effective? So let me just make it like a layer cake. So start with authenticity as the core layer and add on to it the frosting, the whipped cream, the bet, which we, the, are the best practices, and what a dynamite combination to be yourself, but yourself at your best. Mm. Okay, I like it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because if your, your authentic self is disfluent or choppy or not well-practiced or messy, obviously it's not going to work well for you. Mm -hmm. All right, I want to ask you, one of the golden questions I've been asked several times over the years, and I think I'm really interested in what you have to say about this. As a public speaking coach, can you tell right away if a speaker has what it takes to be one of the greats? One of the greats. Okay, so I guess there's sort of a, a hierarchy uh, <laughs> where it goes from weak, not ready to prime time, to average too exceptional, you know, so let's say a 10, and I don't mean Donald Trump's 10. Okay. You know, a 10 in speaking. <laughs> you know, you're asking a great question. It's a little bit like being a physician. Generally, an experienced physician within five or 10 minutes can possibly tell what's wrong with a person. I would have to say, if you give me a good five, seven minute sample of someone, I would know right away which of those levels they might be at. Hmm. And so, but can you tell if if you're if they're coachable or if there's someone who over time will be able to really be that great presenter on stage who uses vocal variety and shows up with the authentic voice and is able to storytell and do all those things great speakers do? Yeah, you know, almost everyone can get to the next level. Almost everyone can get to the next level. So I have a lot of faith and confidence. In terms of being on the speaking circuit or wanting to be paid well for being a speaker, you've got to put in your hours. And, you know, many people have read the book, I think it's Blink, where 
I don't want to scare anyone, but it says to be good at something, you have to put in 10,000 hours. Yeah. That's a heck of a lot of hours. <laughs> yeah. And I can tell you, when I first got into this career, I believe I did that. I studied, I practiced, I made mistakes. So all of those things are, you know, part of becoming good. But yes, you can absolutely go to the next level. You know, I guess you're wondering if someone wasn't ready for prime time and I truly thought they'd never be, how would I handle it? That's a tough one. Yeah. So. Okay. So what do you think? Because you meet with a lot of people who want to become speakers. Well, I feel like everybody has a mes message. Everybody has a mission. But it not the stage might not be the right place for everyone to share it because right. you could be a great author, you could be an amazing blogger, you could be a great coach, but maybe the yeah. stage isn't the right place to share it. And just because it, it, that's not where you shine. And I guess I just, I'm not sure if I'm the only one who thinks that way. <laughs> right. Well, you know, also I'm thinking if someone just loves, you know, being influential and motivating, what about being a workshop leader? Mm-hmm an educator or a facilitator. Because mm -hmm. yeah. actually many clients really find that that's, that's just as exciting as having a motivational type of speaker. Mm -hmm. So Lori, which areas do you focus on in your work? So each person has different goals. So the areas that they come to the speech improvement company for Everything from something extremely specific, like reducing their fillers. I work today with someone who says, you know what I mean too much. Or modifying their dialect or their accent. All the way to something extremely high level, like how do you put your main themes or messages into words. And then in the middle would be something like working on style. Style is the sum total of how people describe you. So for example, someone wants to make it in their business, but they're described as quote unquote, too aggressive or too submissive. What we do to use a, a term um, from other fields, we operationalize it. What does it mean to be assertive versus aggressive? And then a coach like me comes up with what are those tools or techniques that I want to share and practice with the client and, and the client in turn practices them at work and gets results. That's, that's really what coaching is all about. Communication coaching is all about getting results so that if you get coached uh, on a Monday for a meeting you have on Friday that I wanna speak to you on Friday and you tell me it was the best meeting that you ever led. Can you give me an example of a client who wants to wanted to improve their message and how you help them do that? Sure, I can talk to you about one who was very, very rigorous. This person had to speak at a board meeting. And I think I can actually say the company because I'm not going to say uh, much about her. So it was a mass mutual board meeting. And it was her first one. And this is a person who took the right path because she wanted to practice her tail off. And there's nothing wrong with that. And she practiced for, I'd say, at least three months in advance. Maybe I saw her approximately once a week. 
And she was so dedicated, she practiced for a 30-minute presentation, because that's supposedly what it was going to be. Then she knew it might be cut. So she also practiced for a 15-minute one, and maybe even a five-minute one, because there's a habit of board meetings for things to be cut in half. We focused on the message. In this case, she needed to work on being more concise. Her sentences were about 50 words long. And she needed to work on sticking to her, her theme and not getting off on too many tangents. She just didn't have the time for that. So we first you work on message, then you work on delivery. And then, of course, as I said before, she wanted to work on timing. And, you know, paid off. Uh, she ended up doing a, a very good job, was noticed by the executives, the head honchos, and as a result, you know, was in line for very good promotions. That's great. Is there a piece of advice you would give to someone who's trying to work on their message? Just a simple tip. Sure. I would say um, be aware of the things that make a talk interesting. So we have something called the four E's. And I can you know briefly share uh, e, one E stands for use evidence, facts, research, statistics, trivia, that's factual. The next is examples. So if I say there's lots of ways you can control your fear of speaking, one way is squeeze together your thumb you know, with your middle finger when you're feeling under stress. Third is experiences, and I bet you uh, a lot of your clients do that, Angela, which is tell a story related to the point. Mm -hmm. A success story, a challenge, a sad story, a funny story. The more range of emotion, the better. And the fourth one, which is very important when you're viewed as an expert in the field, is called editorial. It's giving a perspective or comment, an overview, or a recommendation. So if I say that since more people than ever before are speaking to more people than ever before, all of us need to become excellent professional communicators. Okay. And what would you say if someone wanted to work on their delivery? Do you have a tip for that? The main thing? Gee, that's tough because I, I mean, I'm often asked, you know, what are the three main things? Okay. The, the first one is a bit surprising. It's keeping up a good flow and speed. So if you listen to professional speakers like people on TV and radio, they're all going, sometimes, frankly, I think it's too fast to clip. So you've got to keep up a good, good speed because the brain can process material faster than you can talk. Now, the second delivery tip, which is also related to oral image, is called vocal variety. So not only do you want to keep up a good clip, you want certain words to have meaning and impact usually you're raising your volume on them. And that technique is called vocal variety. It's actually voice energy. So one word per phrase should jump out. So in our workshops, you know, people practice and our joke is, you know, they don't call it a boardroom for nothing. So we help people to not be boring. I mean, that, that's the best way to put that skill. Okay. And what about their presence if they wanted to work on that? Do you have a tip for that? So there's so many things that go into presence. So I would say, in terms of nonverbal presence, we talk about the three S's. One is stability. 
speaking basically is an upper body activity. You want all your movements to be purposeful. Also, we're judged in terms of likability from the neck up. So every time I see a picture of you, I find you very likable. It makes me want to smile. That's a really good thing. <laughs> Generally, a motivational keynote speaker wants to be very likable. Uh, second is symmetry. You want, when you're gesturing, you want your hands to be even with each other. When you're trying to express confidence, you want your head, your chin, to be sort of in the middle of your neck and not tilted to the side. If it's tilted to the side, that shows warmth. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it's held in the middle with your chin about even with a imaginary knot in a tie, that's going to show more influence. So stability, symmetry, and the one that's most famous is space, taking up space. The more space you take up, the more influential you look. So feet about even with shoulders. When you do gesture, make the gestures outside of where your body ends. One thing I used to do on stage all the time was cross my legs while I was standing. Oh, interesting. <laughs> well, that's kind of sweet, but yeah, that won't look as influential, right? And how did you realize that you were doing that? A friend of mine was in the audience one day and she came up to me afterwards and said, don't cross your legs. Don't cross your legs when you're standing. It looks like you have to go to the bathroom. Oh, you know something? It's so helpful to have a friend like that, really. I mean, at the beginning of my career, I had a colleague who said, do you know when you listen to a question, you put your head up? And it was sort of my way of, and it looks snobby. Hmm. And he said, when you're listening, you want to lean forward. And I honestly did not know I was doing that. Interesting. I recently got a video of me presenting a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. and I was watching it yesterday and I noticed I was I was using a handheld mic and my other hand was gesturing the whole time so it looked really odd because one hand was just you know in front of my body holding the mic and the other one was moving around a lot so do you have any advice when someone's actually holding the microphone what you should do with your other hand well you did the right thing I mean see the the issue is if the mic cannot pick up your voice when you're doing normal gestures with that hand that it's in, then you have no choice uh, but to keep the mic near you. Of course, preventatively, if you can possibly get a clip-on mic, that will solve the whole problem. Yeah. <laughs> so one-handed gestures are not bad. You know, people understand yeah. that you can't move the mic, but if possible, prevent that from happening by asking the venue uh, if they could possibly find a clip-on mic. Okay. So I have another question about that because sure. I, I've used lav mics, lavalier mics, and I often wear dresses on stage. I don't like business suits, and I sometimes there's nowhere to put the battery pack, so they'll sometimes cl clip it to my collar, and it's hanging behind my hair, and it's like pulling my dress down in the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you because it happened to me, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Same thing. Yeah. And you don't want to hold the battery pack. So I'll often try to wear a dress that has a belt and then it'll hang off the back of my belt. But it looks so weird. It it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't look Yeah. Right. I mean, that was kind of smart. I probably wouldn't be that uh, accommodating. The, what the, what happened with me is they lit, I literally unzipped my dress. <laughs> and a guy, I said, I'm going to report you to HR. I was joking with him. He, we put it on my, I think my, my underwear. Yeah. 
<laughs> so no, but that's a, that's an ish, interesting challenge that women who are, let's say, getting used to speaking in front of groups with microphones, you do have to take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear you. Yeah. So just wanted to ask about that. Absolutely. I'm, my philosophy is, I guess maybe it's wrong that it's more their problem than mine. You know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to switch gears for a second, because when I was thinking about having you on the podcast, my first thought was, I wonder who Lori considers to be a great speaker. Because when you're an expert at something, you're watching everything people on stage are doing. So can you tell us about someone you love to watch on stage so we can get an idea of, you know, who you think is, is a good sure. presenter? Sure. Well, I've made my decision about the best speaker of the 21st century. And I don't think it's going to shock anyone. It's Michelle Obama. Oh, yeah. Okay, why? The, the key element of an advanced speaker, a 10, is surprise. They're not predictable. Their pattern's not predictable. They pause in unexpected places. They show a range of emotion. They connect with their audience through their language. So I'd suggest, and you know, you don't have to agree with me, that if you want to see someone who's a 10, and she's better than her husband, I think, just because I think she's you know, more fiery and passionate, so I always joke, she's the, Obama is the second best speaker in his household. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I loved her speech she gave a couple months ago. I, that was yeah. my favorite political speech of the whole year. She was great. So I've come to that conclusion, and she really, I mean, I'm sure she has a speechwriter. In fact, I, I heard actually the speechwriters from Massachusetts. But yet, there's something about, and maybe she takes the speech that's been written and puts it into her, and this is where the authenticity comes in. It really sounds conversational. Yeah. Like we were talking uh, this morning when we were evaluating the vice presidential candidates, that one of them sounded like he had canned lines. Well, what's wrong with a canned line if it's delivered well? True. So there's a lot of confusion. I find among clients, among public speakers, about whether something should be scripted or not scripted. It's one of the biggest questions that people have. Can I give my two cents on that and see what you think? Of course. I've, I've thought about this a lot. And when I'm given a script or if I'm asked to memorize something, it doesn't go well. It just, it doesn't. And when I did the TEDx talk last year, they said, you can use the teleprompter. And that made me so scared because I know myself and I know that I'm not good at reciting things and reading things and trying to make them sound interesting. So for me, scripts don't work, but I've seen people use them and they use them effectively. So do you think it's like a case by case? I think it's customized. And I, being the sort of assessor that I am, I would ask you, what do you do to prepare? So that that's a question I would have for you. Let's say for your TED Talk. Well, I create you know, the introduction, an introductory story, and then I have three or four bullet points that are my main thoughts, and then I create an ending, and I only memorize the last sentence. Very interesting. Okay, so you, you hit the nail on the head. So it's not so much that any strategy is right or wrong. It's, and this is very key, it's what a given person needs to do in order to be effective. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's great. So just because you have a script doesn't mean you're good. And just because you're spontaneous doesn't mean you'll be good. Yeah, what works for you. Right. And in general, people do need, unless they're very fluent and excellent with words, people do need at least, you know, you, you do your last line and your opening. Generally, I find people at least need to have a template about their headlines and headlines are your main points that you might want to make. And of course, you know, every situation is different. And the more you do a particular talk, obviously, the more comfortable you're going to get. And the, the if you think of the word rehearse, it has inside of it the word rehear. Rehear is inside of the word rehearse. It means your brain gets to know something because it rehears it so that you can then focus more on delivery. Hmm. So again, a question I'd ask someone like you who does well with minimal scripting is how, how do you rehearse, if at all? I, t I tell the story over and over again, especially when I'm driving. <laughs> and I look for the moments when I'm excited and the parts that advance the story the fastest. And I just keep revising it in my head until I get it to a point where I'm just talking about the things that matter the most. That's so. really cool. So, but that's a lot of preparation. Yeah. That really is. It reminds me a lot of a process, let's say, of songwriting. Hmm. Whereas you ever see like the lyrics a songwriter writes, there's all sorts of cross outs. Yeah. Because something, di something didn't quite work. So you do prepare a lot. It's just not the things you focus on aren't like a script. Right. Yeah. I try to be in the moment with the audience and kind of notice when they're laughing and, oh, they like that. So I'm going to do that again. Or if they look uh -huh. tired, I'll kind of change the pace or change the way I'm presenting it. Well, those sound like fantastic strategies. If you can pull it off, which I know you do. <laughs> it's taken a long time. In the beginning, I didn't really notice I had an audience. I was mostly concerned about delivering all my bullet points and making sure I was perfect. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's an interesting evolution. So when we look at speakers who are the, are the eight, nine, or the 10, they, <clears throat> they've shifted their focus from self-consciousness to other consciousness. Yeah. And I think when you start out, it is pretty normal to be focused on yourself. Yeah, I think so too. And then when you can finally relax a little bit, you're able to bring the audience into the conversation. Exactly, exactly. So, so people who are just beginning at this, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. You might have to focus on building your message and building your delivery. And the turning point will come when you can relax and focus more on your listeners. Yeah. So do you have any advice for newer speakers who are trying to manage their fear and manage that anxiety on stage so that they can get more comfortable with talking with the audience instead of at the audience? Yeah. Fear is not, not fun. Fear is really not fun. And I admire anyone who wants to push through it. So the good news, very good news is out of all the hangups human beings have controlling what we call situational anxiety is very, very possible. For some people, it simply comes through getting a, having a success experience and learning the skills. So sort of an outside-in approach. Others need more in-depth. So there's several kinds of approaches. One is called the cognitive approach, cognition or how you think, 
working with a coach to think in more realistic ways. Like if I make a mistake, it's not the end of the world or it's okay to be nervous. It's sort of lessening the pressure on yourself or sometimes in the literature, it's called decatastrophizing, kind of a long word there. Yeah. Uh, the other technique is physical stress reduction. And many listeners that you have here are familiar with how to focus on deeper breathing, how to visualize, and of course, working with a coach helps you with all those things. So I like a combination platter of the <laughs> physical, the mental, and the skills. And there is a fourth technique, but you know, if, if a client wants it, it's important to know that there are pills which can help people with the physical aspect of nervousness, but you have to get the right prescription. Okay. Is that the beta blockers? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I've yes. Heard of and, and for example, coaches work very closely with certain doctors. Other doctors don't know much about this kind of thing and may prescribe the wrong medicine. Mm -hmm. hmm. Do you have any just observations of how long it takes people to really absorb those techniques and start to feel less fear on stage or is it different for everybody? Oh, good question. Well, I like it when a client gets practice opportunities. I, I get kind of concerned if someone does some sort of presentation like once every five months. So the, the more you can play around with it, sort of the best situation is, let's say you have some kind of talk and you get to do it uh, for several different audiences and sometimes and I'm sure you've done this too you get to do it in the actually in the same day mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how people Lessen their nervousness as they experience success now if you had to give me If I had to give you an average amount of time that it might take let's say I'm gonna say with coaching 8 to 12 hours of coaching Okay, that's average now, what kind of mistakes do you see speakers make on stage, maybe because of nervousness or inexperience? Mm -hmm. Mistakes, and I've done all of these things myself. The first thing is very practical. Set the stage or your space up so that you're physically comfortable. So when people are wrestling their notes, or grabbing for things, or the lectern, which is the actual name for a podium, comes up to their eye, eyelids <laughs> when they haven't looked at the physical space. When the people are in classroom style, and it makes it difficult for them to interact with each other. So you want to have control over the physical environment. I'm glad you mentioned microphones. Got to try out the microphone. I'm very uncoordinated. I always have to try out the remote control. And I, I still make mistakes. Related to that, if you are using visuals or slides, have you, who's going to advance them? We like it when people are in control of you know, the advancement of their own slides, but maybe there's not a remote control feature. So you're not gonna always have the perfect physical environment, but as much as possible, try to get there early and control it. I guess another mistake that people make is though they want though you want to be conversational there is something about being in front of a group where you do have to have your best energetic self there. 
So that comes along with uh, a wide variety of facial expressions and particularly being engaging by smiling, the vocal variety, which we talked about before. The, you know, you might dress for being noticed. So when it's a quieter speaker, they might want to wear orange or red. When you're kind of a loud mouth like me, you might want to just be more toned down and more corporate looking, but always with a nice accessory. So you want to have your physical presence um, make a statement. So the, a mistake I see is people don't put enough energy into thinking about their their physical presence. So, I mean, a day that's the hardest for me in terms of that would be if I have a large group speaking engagement. A day that's the easiest for me would be if I'm just meeting one-on-one -on -one with a client. I don't put as much work or as much energy into that. Mm -hmm. You know, those, those still some. I have a, an attire question. This is a question that women constantly ask about wearing high heels on stage because they're afraid of falling, but they don't want to wear flats and not look as put together. So do you have any thoughts on shoes on stage? Yeah, those are practical questions. I wrote my, uh, my third book is actually called Speech Gems. And one of the gems is don't wear those new shoes for the first time at an important talk. So that's number one, make sure that the, the shoes have been worn before so you're comfortable in them. You know, if you're tall, I think you can get away with flats, but why not just look for a low heel that you'll be comfortable in? And I've known people who are very comfortable in three inch or more heels. Now, there's a lot of research on what happens if you do trip. Would you believe in most circumstances, it means the audience will like you more? Not that I want you to break your ankle. <laughs> and that, that makes sense. Then they'll have compassion, right? And exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget when I spilled coffee, when I was teaching at Northeastern University and, and meeting with a group I didn't know. And I was so embarrassed inside, but it was like it really broke the ice. Hmm. So I learned that lesson myself. So n new tip, try to fall. <laughs> you might, honestly, there ha I have read some books that say to do that, to make a mistake. Yeah. Great. Well, we're going to go into the lightning round unless there's anything else you'd like to share. No, this is fantastic. I feel like I'm speaking to a kindred spirit. <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> All right. This is our five quick questions with Lori. Oh, yeah. okay. oh. Number one, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? I would say uh, talk about what you love. Number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? Oh, goodness. All right. That is it. All right. Uh, I'm going to say two contrasting ones. Good skills grow out of important beliefs. So if you believe in your theme, if you believe in the fact that you can get across that theme, the skills that you learn in coaching and reading and all that uh, will follow. Okay. And in reverse, skills lead to good feelings. So that's the reverse. In other words, in order to have good feelings about yourself as a speaker, you have to be skilled. And to be skilled, you have to have strong beliefs. Or... So both of those things are important. Yeah. I like it. They, they feed on each other. You can't just believe in something and think you're going to be good. Yeah. 
You can't just be skilled and just go out there and, and talk about something you don't believe in. Mm-hmm. I get it. I like it. Number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Well, I might say, um, you know, do all the good you can, even at this young age, and meditate more. <laughs> yeah. Number four, what advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? Do all the good you can with the talents that you have developed. Mm -hmm. Number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Well, for years, I've had my mother's shoes that she's had when she was a young woman. I always keep them under my desk. Uh, so it reminds me of, I admire her her character, so it reminds me of her. And also, she was scared of so many things, but not of public speaking. Hmm. So there, you know, that was sort of an early on kind of attitude I developed about speaking. Why her shoes? Well, it's lit, you know, do you know the expression walking in someone's shoes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so these are like high heels she had when she was young. Oh, that's so cool. So they're under your desk at your office? All the time. And I've, I must have had 10, 15 offices in my career. Wow, I love that. And you can they're always just in sight, so you look down and they're there? Yeah, exactly. Wow, cool. And lastly, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? I would say it means that you feel empowered as you empower others. And when I say power, it doesn't have to be power. It, 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 is, it could be passion, it could be motivation, but it's, it's the reciprocal relationship. Claiming the stage is a, is a two-way street. Hmm. Great, and anything you'd like to share with our audience? Well, um, you had asked me what people can do in terms of whether the, if they're interested in becoming better speakers and as well as working um, with your speaking school. Mm -hmm. So I can talk about that and I can also um, have people email me if they want a, you know, a tip sheet for speaking at conferences, et cetera. It's, okay. it's a new piece I came out with. I also have a great piece on team meetings for people who lead or participate in meetings. Oh, great. So the, uh, go ahead. Tell me your core offering. If someone wanted to hire you, what could you do for them? Well, because I like what you're doing so much, Angela, one of the things that people could start with, I'd be happy to either speak to them or watch their uh, videotape, let's say for 50 minutes and then do a write-up and give, um, you know, like a 75% discount on that. So it would oh. be like, you know, $95 for the hour. Oh, wow. So if someone ha t does a speech and they videotape it and send you the video, you'll do an, an entire critique of the message and the delivery and the presence. Yeah. And... Okay. Yeah. But you know what? I'm the type of person. I like the the um, exchange, conversational exchange. So I think the way it would work is I would watch a certain portion of it and then have the other portion of the hour be on the phone. Oh, great. Giving feedback. That sounds amazing. Thank you. And My pleasure. <laughs> I like what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. So if someone wants the tip sheet, how can they get that? Sure. Okay. Um, so it's Lori, the old-fashioned way, L-A-U-R-I-E, at speechimprovement.com. Lori at speechimprovement.com. And if they forget that, I guess they can write to you, right? Yep. And I'll put it in the show notes, too, so they can see it. And then they can send you an email. 
That's fantastic. Well, I hope they do. And um, I'll look forward to keeping in touch and answering any questions. I like to be available. You know, talking about this stuff is like being in a candy store for me. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, it sounds like it. You have so much knowledge and experience. I love asking you all the questions that I think about all the time because you, you know everything about it. <laughs> I try my best. I'm sure I still have a ways to go. <laughs> How can we find more information about you? Well, our website has a fair amount of information. It's speechimprovement.com. Okay. But to, to look at all the fun stuff, you may want to Google me. And of course, every time you Google someone, you might find things that are relevant or not relevant. But I think I'm pretty Googleable. <laughs> so just Google Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, Schlop, S-C-H-L-O-F-F, and quite a few pages there. Yeah, and your interview with Tom Bergeron is on YouTube, right? Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> So glad. I'll have well, to link to that too. That, you know, people have told me that, and the, but then, then other people have said, "Oh, somehow it disappeared." So, oh well, I'm going to put that in the show notes too. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show, Lori. Alrighty, and I just want to build confidence in all your listeners that you can speak for success and with your words really have an influence on people in a very positive way. Thank you. There you have it, my interview with Lori. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Always so much to learn. There's so many small things that go into making a big impression on stage. And I think we hit on a lot of them today. I hope we answered some of your questions. And I hope you come back for next week. I have so many amazing interviews lined up this fall. I feel like I'm just going to be spending like the next two months in my front hall closet recording podcasts, which I'm totally okay with. So stay tuned. There's so many cool things coming up. I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but I hope that you'll check me out every Wednesday or Thursday. I post a new episode. And if you want to get information on public speaking, events, discounts, cool things I'm working on, make sure you sign up for my newsletter. You can find me at AngelaLucier.us and there is a place to sign up for my newsletter on the homepage. So that's it for me, you guys. As always, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time. Today I'd like to welcome to the show Larry... <laughs> Start again. I just said Larry. That happened to me once. It's in a play. All right. And oh, by the way, is my audio okay? Yeah. I'm on a microphone. Okay. You sound great. Too funny. Too funny. Start again. So you're, you're not Larry, right? No, I'm not. But that happened to me once before. I was called Lawrence. <laughs> okay. Let's start. That. Okay.